Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Good Friday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross and Michael Borky. Wrapping up the work week with you. I was especially looking forward to this Friday because it's uh, my last Friday for a week. I'm out next week and uh, excited about a little vacation time. Come back and uh, we'll be a week into fall camp or I guess be into the first full week of fall camp and we'll be less than a month away from the uh, the start of the uh, football season. So, uh, hmm. Good times. At least it actually feels like fall camp this time instead of 100 degrees like it usually is. Nice. Yeah, it's going to warm back up, though, isn't it? Probably. Well, we've got perfect weather right now. And, like, if kickoff was today, everybody would be happy, right? It would be, like, 90 degrees, but by the time games would kick off, you know, it would be perfectly comfortable weather. So we've still got yeah, nothing it, but high of 90 for the next 10 days here in Jackson. Anyway, you know kickoff in Memphis is going to be 107 for Ole Miss. <laughs> yeah, it feels like uh, that's probably the direction we're headed, especially with an 8 o'clock, or excuse me, an 11 a.m. kickoff. If, if, if you had an opening night kickoff tonight, like in Oxford right now it's 85, feels like 87, humidity's not terrible. 50% right now, which for where we are, that's really not bad at all. So if you had a day like this and you had a 630 kickoff, you know, it'd be what, 83, 84 at kickoff and then get down into the mid 70s by the end of the game. Yes, nobody on planet Earth would, uh, would complain about that at all. Um, but the likelihood of that happening, uh, we'll have to wait and see. The 10 day forecast, though, pretty good. Uh, I'm looking at North Mississippi. It's 89, 89, 88, 87, 89. Uh, there is not a 90 degree temperature on the 10 day forecast uh, right now, which is a little unusual for the end of July rolling into, uh, into August. We'll see, though. I mean, plenty of time for it to still warm up. I mean, Borky, it's, it could very well be 92 on Halloween. Yeah, see, it's just karma is what it's going to be. So we're going to have perfect weather now, and then we will have a miserably hot entire football season. Or like rain every Saturday for six weeks in a row. Nah, I don't say that. I'm like double jinxing (laughs) That makes my... Yeah, that makes my job a a little less fun uh, during the season if it's rainy every week. But... We'll play football regardless, and uh, it's getting close. Hey, we're glad to have you along this afternoon. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land and all that goes along with it. 
for a little over 100 years, so they know what they're doing, and they know how to help you. Whether you're a farmer with equipment needs or production loan needs, or you're buying a new piece of property, or maybe you're building a dream home in the country, or maybe you're buying a piece of recreational property, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for a really long time. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Want to stop to, or stop, maybe I'll just say we should start this way, uh, by once again saying thank you to all of you yesterday who listened, who donated, who had anything at all to do with the success of our seventh annual Palmer Home for Children Radiothon. It was a spectacular day. We got to see the, uh, the I won't say new campus in Hernando. I guess it's new in comparison to uh, what they had in Columbus, but the new consolidated campus where all of the operations for Palmer Home are now in one place, blown away by the facility, even more so than that, blown away by the kids that we had a chance to talk to yesterday. Some of their stories, the uh, the care that they're getting, the love that they're receiving from everybody associated with Palmer Home and everybody that um, uh, that is is tied to that organization. Yesterday, uh, when we closed things down, a little over two hundred eighty thousand dollars raised. Uh, we still got the live auction going through um, the end of this month, so you can bid online. Uh, we'll be sure to continue to give you the link to that online auction and some other money that is uh, continuing to trickle in. So. Really probably going to be right around $300,000 when all the money is tabulated from this year's Radiothon. Just an incredible day. And, Borky, it was your first time to be on site for the uh, the Radiothon. I know you said at one point during the show yesterday that uh, you didn't know exactly what to expect. And uh, even with that said, it had kind of um, blown away your expectations. Pretty great day, huh? Yeah, it was a really good day, and $300,000 is such a, a massive number. And I guess we did a number similar to that last year, so... You know, in a vacuum, when you when you set goals and the goal is three hundred thousand, which we'll meet, that just sounds like your average day. But think about how much money that is, how much money that really is. It's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and well, and what you can do with it also, because you're you're talking about uh, in the neighborhood of fifty kids that live at the uh, the Hernando campus. You're talking about the uh, the foster care program that goes along. Uh, you're talking about Jonah's Journey, which is uh, another initiative of Palmer Home, uh, where they work to uh, take care of children uh, that come from incarcerated mothers and then try and uh, help rehabilitate those relationships over time. There's just a lot of good that's happening at Palmer Home for the uh, the children of the state of Mississippi. And we were honored to be a part of it. We were honored by your generosity uh, once again, uh, as you've done for seven consecutive years and uh, really thankful for all those that were involved. And I said this yesterday. I'm going to say it again to uh, to start today's show because uh, y- you don't hear from these people on the radio. You hear us mention their name from time to time. But uh, Cami Martin and Houston McDavid and Scary Gary, who do so much work behind the scenes, especially when we're away from the studio, when we go anywhere, they are there making sure that everything technically and behind the scenes happens. Uh, all three of them did yeoman's work yesterday, and uh, that event would not have happened without the three of them. So we are certainly grateful uh, for Cami and Houston and Gary and all of their work behind the scenes. Good to be with you. The C Spire text line is open to you today. The number is 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. C Spire 
Reminds you not to text and drive, but certainly we want to hear from you on the C Spire text line. C Spire, customer inspired. Uh, a lot of football coming up this afternoon. Uh, pretty much everybody in the NFL has begun uh, their training camps. You've got uh, a few college teams that are beginning fall camp either today or tomorrow or on Monday. And then by the end of next week, everybody's going to be off and rolling. Um, Ole Miss will have their first practice on uh, on next Friday, August the 2nd. I think that's the exact same time that Mississippi State begins their practice as well. Uh, so we're here, Borky. It's, uh, it's a pretty spectacular time of the year if you are a college football fan. Yeah, and football fan in general. It, it's just, it, you know, we start the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days, right? And we do milestones, right. 75, 60, 50. Richard, we are almost going to be inside of 30. I mean, we're almost at a month. It, and we just kind of snapped our fingers and it came here. Two summers ago, if I remember correctly, kind of dragged on forever, it felt like. I think last year and this year, we've had a lot of fun in the offseason, though. Like, most people just have to try so hard to, like, come up with something and I talked to a buddy that's in the industry in a different state about this, and he's miserable right now. Not anymore because camp started, but I think we had a lot of fun this summer. Yeah, it has been. It's been a good summer. And, you know, when you've got good college baseball, that certainly helps, right? Uh, I mean, when, when college baseball carries you into the middle part or the late part of the month of June, then you've only got a week or two until the 4th of July. And, you know, a lot of people go on vacation at that time or are doing different things to uh, kind of spend some time with family or check out for a little bit. You get through about two or three weeks of July. You've got SEC media days mixed in. And then, boom, you have made it to the start of the college football season. So there's not a lot of downtime in the summer, especially in a place like this where college baseball is such a big deal. Yeah, we appreciate the help, Mississippi State. That was nice of you. Yeah, yeah. Getting uh, getting to the College World Series in Omaha uh, was a uh, was certainly a good thing. Absolutely was. Uh, so you can text us on the Ceasefire text line. Jeff says month away, and uh, he said less than a, f- a month until week zero of uh, the college football season. So what is it? It's uh, August twenty fourth. Um, that's the uh, day that you're going to get Florida against Miami. Uh, certainly a marquee event there. It's, uh, well, you've got Arizona going to Hawaii, so you'll have a few football games in that uh, that week zero spot. So really, as we uh, get ready to turn the calendar to August, it will get here in a hurry. Is that a month from tomorrow? Is that right for uh, Florida and Miami? Yeah, yeah, a month from tomorrow, and that will be the most overanalyzed college football game in the history of the sport because it's two named programs playing when nobody else is. Uh, the week leading up to it, that's all anybody's going to talk about. And the next three days or so after, that's all anybody's going to talk about across the country because it's the only thing they had. So if you lose that game, it sucks to be you for a while. Yeah, it really does. Uh, it really does. Uh, got a uh, little NFL flavor on the show, some interesting stuff happening in and around the, uh, the National Football League. Uh, Eli Manning with uh, a little barb in the direction of Odell Beckham Jr., uh, as he is now in Cleveland, we'll continue the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Zach Bingham's going to join us from A to Z Sports. We'll talk with John Cox from Southern Miss and a whole lot more with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Tell me about it, Jimmy. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Friday afternoon rolling into the weekend. 
You got any fun plans for the weekend, Borky? Um, not really, to be honest. It's going to be kind of a low-key weekend. Going to okay. make some uh, pulled pork uh, burn-ins, which I had a buddy tell me about it. I've never heard of this before. I knew, like, in barbecue Wait, competitions. pulled pork burn-ins? Yes. I've never heard of that before. I knew that, like, in competitions, brisket burn-ins was part of the presentation when you present, like, competition brisket. I'd never heard of... Uh, the the Boston butt kind before, but uh, he sent me a, a recipe, and you cook the butt up to about 165, 170, and then cut it into little pieces, and then put it back in a pan, back into the smoker with sauce, and uh, put more rub on it, and then cook those for another like two hours or so on 250 in your smoker, and apparently they're just phenomenal, and you can do anything with them. So I'm going to try that this weekend. I've never heard of it before. Maybe he's trolling me, but it kind of sounds good. So instead of pulling the pork, you just do a Boston buck and then chop it up into like cubes or yeah, whatever and uh, cook that. Uh, he said right before it gets to the point where it starts pulling apart, to where you can take it off the smoker and slice it into little bite-sized chunks. And then you put the chunks oh, back you. into a pan and into the smoker. It, it sounds interesting, and he makes sandwiches out of them, which is really interesting. Throw some bacon on them, some barbecue yeah. sauce, have a heart attack later. Sounds, you, you know, nice little Saturday. Pretty darn good. That sounds pretty darn good. Any yard work on the uh, horizon? Yeah, probably. I mean, I have to do it every weekend at this point. <laughs> That's like an ongoing thing for you, right? Until you get it how you want it, which is probably never. Yeah. At least not exactly how you want it. It'll probably be never. I mean, and now the more like brush I'm clearing, the more I realize that the fence needs repairs. And um, well, yeah, that's... Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like the brush or the uh, the overgrown stuff along the fence line that is actually holding the fence in place. <laughs> and then when you clear it all out, you go, uh, maybe I should have left that. Maybe there was a reason that uh, that, that was in good shape. I, uh, I certainly get it. I certainly get it. Um, let's take a look at kind of some of the storylines, some of the stuff that's happening in and around the NFL as camp has begun uh, all over the place. You've got Mike Thomas, the wide receiver for the Saints, and Ezekiel Elliott, the running back for the Cowboys, who are both currently holding out of training camp. It feels like Mike Thomas's situation is less of a big deal than maybe the situation with Ezekiel Elliott. And the the thing that's a little fascinating to me with the with the Zeke Elliott thing, it may just be that you're di- dealing with the difference in position in quarterback and running back. Because Dak Prescott is not holding out of camp, but Dak Prescott knows that he's going to get paid and he's going to get paid big by the Cowboys. Ezekiel Elliott is playing a position where the shelf life is much shorter, and across the league, running backs are not getting paid at nearly the same rate as some of the other position spots. So I guess from a business sense, or a business standpoint, I kind of get it with Ezekiel Elliott that he would be trying to get his new deal done before he rolls into camp. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, especially after... Uh, an off season where you were in the news yet again for doing something stupid off the field. This is probably not the best timing for you to hold out when you have given your team reason and reason again to not keep you around long term. As Odell Beckham showed you, he may have a career here in Cleveland and just blow the roof off of the NFL. 
But the Giants gave him that ridiculous contract, and then he started causing problems. And at some point, he became so toxic, you don't even want him on your team anymore. There's a reason he's in Cleveland and not anywhere else in the NFL. And it's not because Cleveland was a place that just is an attractive destination that gave up so much to get him. It didn't happen that way. Ezekiel Elliott's going down that path of, yeah, he's he's stupid, talented. But he's a problem and a headache. And how much do you want to deal with that when, as you mentioned, shelf life isn't very high. They're realizing that uh, running backs, even the good ones, aren't as efficient offensively as like the number four receiver. So tough spot to be holding out right now. And Jerry Jones today didn't call it a hold out. He called it being late. So, hmm. Well, he did make the team playing for the uh, trip to California. You know, you look at running backs that are getting paid big, big, big money. Le'Veon Bell held out last year. Weird deal. And it ultimately cost himself money. Now, he's making $13.125 million this year with the Jets. He's got $35 million guaranteed on a $52.5 million contract. But he's not going to recoup the money that he lost from Pittsburgh a year ago. The Rams signed Todd Gurley to the big contract. He's the highest-paid running back in the NFL, but he's got health issues now, and people still aren't sure if he's healthy coming into camp this year. David Johnson with the Cardinals is making a bunch of money. Maybe it's worth it, maybe it's not, but that's a, a football team that's got a lot of issues beyond running back. They're so bad Obviously, up front, backs, you could have the three best running backs in football and still not be effective running the ball there. I mean, Saquon Barkley's on his rookie deal, you know, going into his second year with the Giants. And I've heard some other people mention this. When you look at running backs, okay, who who are the names that just immediately jump to mind that have had long, successful careers? I mean, Todd Gurley's still young. I mean, he when he's healthy, he is absolutely dynamic. Le'Veon Bell's been good for an extended period of time. LaShawn McCoy who's making $8 million a year with the Buffalo Bills, has been good for an extended period of time. It feels almost like Leonard Fournette has flamed out in Jacksonville. Now, can he come back and have a big year? Sure, he could. Ezekiel Elliott, he's only 24 years old, but once you get older, much older than that, you start looking around and you don't have guys that are making a lot of money. So I understand that Ezekiel Elliott's trying to get what he can while he can, but any, what I was going to say a second ago is I've, I've heard some people say, look, man, get your running back, draft one that you like, pay them what you've got to pay them for that rookie deal, and then draft another one. There's just no reason to tie $10, $12, $13, 14000000 million up at the running back position because you can get a $4 million a year running back that can be productive if you've got a good offensive line, Period. 100%. And if you're Dallas, you still have Amari Cooper who needs a new contract. And who is more important? I, this is a really good question, actually. Who's more important to Dallas's offense in the next four four seasons, Amari Cooper or Ezekiel Elliott? Uh, Most would say Zeke Elliott, but what Amari Cooper did for Dak Prescott at the end of last season after they made that trade can't be ignored. That's a um, that's a good point. Richard and Wiggins uh, said Zeke Elliott. You mean TM Zeke? Something like that. I mean, it's getting to that point. 
And again, holding out of camp when you've done that yet again is it's a bold strategy. I and mean, he's a great player and makes that offense go. He is number two all time in NFL history in average rushing yards per game. Per game? Per game. Number two all time already. Which can change because just he can have he can yeah, have but just with a small sample size. It's still pretty remarkable though. Yeah. Um I don't know that you'd call it drama, but when you can get a little bit of a soundbite from Eli Manning, even if it's a short one, then it's kind of interesting stuff. You had Odell Beckham Jr. leaving the Giants, going to Cleveland, and he can't just go to Cleveland and be happy. Just on his own, he's got to say something about his former team. And basically, Odell Beckham Jr. said that uh, he was largely responsible for keeping the Giants relevant in the time in which he was there, even when the team was bad. Eli Manning was asked about that, and here's what he had to say. Did his comments about he was the reason you guys were on TV bother you? I don't think they bothered me. Uh, Just, you know, you just kind of shake your head and laugh. (laughs) You're you laughing. laughing. <laughs> I mean, I think those two rings had a little bit to do with right, why they're yeah. on TV. We I won mean, a few games before he was here. I yeah, think, a know? couple of them. Yeah. yeah, they did win a few games before OBJ was in town. I mean, did people talk about Odell Beckham Jr.? Of course they did. Because he was a spectacle. And at times he was really, really good. Circus catches. Battled injuries, a little bit of a problem off the field, and yeah, I don't think he's got a Super Bowl ring. A bunch of the player, or a few of the players on the Giants have got him, including Eli Manning with a couple of them and a couple of Super Bowl MVPs to go along with it. Uh, I don't imagine that Odell Beckham Jr. is just going to sit and not respond to what Eli Manning said. We'll we'll see. We'll see if he's got a uh, a shot back. Some more storylines from the NFL when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. It's five o'clock somewhere. Everything seems to be. Some NFL storylines. Quotes from uh, Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones as the Cowboys have begun their camp in California. Jerry Jones on Ezekiel Elliott. He is late. He is a non-report officially. It provides for him being fined. Um, On Ezekiel Elliott not being at the start of training camp, head coach Jason Garrett, we expect all our players to be here. Our focus as a coaching staff and as an organization is on the players who are here. Vice President of the Cowboys, Stephen Jones, confirms that they have had discussions with Ezekiel Elliott's representatives about a new contract. Uh, pointed out that the Cowboys have a history of getting contracts done with players during camp, said that he expected Zeke Elliott to be there for the start of the camp, but doesn't see it being a distraction, and says the goal has always been to get Dak, Amari Cooper, and Zeke new contracts. Um, Expects that they're going to get a deal done with Amari Cooper. And let's see, a couple of other quotes. Uh, Jerry Jones. He was asked about um, the last time that he had talked to Ezekiel Elliott. He says, probably right at the end of minicamp. said, now I have visited with key people with him after his trip going up to New York. 
He was asked about if there was similarity to Emmett Smith's holdout when he was a running back for the Cowboys, and Jones uh, was quick to point out that Emmett Smith was actually out of contract at the time. He went on to say, we'll get to work on stuff out here that we need to work on just in case we don't have Zeke. We need to be working on that. The QB needs to work without him. But again, I go back to the point of it being a little bit different quarterback versus running back, just because of the difference of those positions, the difference of the shelf life of those positions. But you don't see Dak Prescott sitting out waiting on his new contract to get done. He's there. Mari Cooper is there. Zeke Elliott is not there. Which says something, I think. I think it does. And I think you're right. It's a very old man take of me, but uh, this Mike Thomas thing, you know, spin zone, I think it's fine. It'll be fine. If they get a deal done soon, everything's okay. The team's not going to hold it against them. It's all good. But I look at it this way. If I wanted to 20 times my salary, so I don't know what you call that, but let's just call it double my salary. And I sent, I went to the bosses down the hall here, Richard, and said, I want two times more than I'm making right now, and I'm not working a day until you give it to me. What's their response going to be? Mm, bye. See ya. And I'm not near as valuable as Mike Thomas is to the Saints. I get that. But if you are under contract, if you have entered an agreement, like I have with Supertalk, to work for this amount, then you should work for that amount while you're negotiating a new agreement. I know their leverage is holding out. I understand that. But still, the optics of that I don't like. If you have a contract, if you are under contract for a certain amount of money to do this thing, you should do that thing and negotiate in the meantime. Because you still have a job to do, and your contract says you need to be at camp right now. Yeah. I completely understand what you're saying. And for the most part, I agree with you. And I think it's the way that I would try to go about my business. But I do understand, and, and I mean, this has become part of the business practice in professional sports. Um, you use the leverage that you have, and the leverage that you have is saying, well, I'm going to hold out. And sometimes it works out, and deals get done, and sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you have a stance like what happened with Pittsburgh last year where they said to um, Le'Veon Bell, we're not paying you. You hold out as long as you want to. We're, we're comfortable. And Pittsburgh was pretty productive at the running back position a year ago. Yeah, they ended up having On a really good Tom- one after him. Yeah. yeah, And, and that's the thing that, that you run into as well is that you can think you're not replaceable. But in most circumstances, you are replaceable. I don't know if Michael Thomas is replaceable for the Saints or not, and I don't think it's going to come to that. He did not report to camp yesterday, but he and the team are working on the details of a new mega deal. It's probably going to make him the highest paid, at least for the time being, receiver in football. Negotiations have been going on for seven, uh, several weeks. 26-year-old Michael Thomas doesn't plan to attend camp at the Metairie practice facility until the new deal is in place, according to a source familiar with the situation. Um, Mickey Loomis said that Thomas 
not being in camp, quote, bothers me because it's a reflection on the job we do. In a perfect world, this would be done, and we'd both feel really good or really bad about it. I know Mike wants to be here. It's not a question of him not wanting to be here. Um, Michael Thomas, in accordance with the collective bargaining agreement that the league has between the teams and the players, is subject to a fine of $40,000 for each day that he misses. Now, a lot of times, those fines get just kind of brushed away. But they could fine him. It's something that hopefully will be resolved soon, according to Sean Payton, the head coach of the Saints. I think his agent and Mickey, those guys are working on it. I'm optimistic it will be done fairly soon. We've talked about what he wanted, a deal that would make him the highest-paid wide receiver in the NFL. Odell Beckham Jr., currently with Cleveland Browns, has the highest contract in the league uh, at $18 million a year. The Saints have offered a deal that averages between 18 and $19 million a year. Originally, Michael Thomas wanted in the neighborhood of $22 million, but he's backed off that a little bit and wants to be the first $20 million wide receiver in the NFL. And... Uh, According to Rob uh, Yahoo's Charles Robinson, a $20 million per year average, if it has the right structure and the right guarantees in it, would likely get this deal done. It just feels like with this story with the Saints, because they want him there, and they're willing to pay him a bunch of money, obviously, and he wants to be there, and he wants to be paid a bunch of money, they're going to get there. Yeah, especially if it's only a million. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Especially if it's only a million dollars between the two. Yeah, and and I think the I think that language at the end of what Charles Robinson reported is is important. While yes, the twenty million a year guarantee is is important to to Thomas, and he wants to be the highest paid player in the league. It's how much of it's guaranteed. So if they do a four year eighty million dollar deal, or a five year one hundred million dollar deal. How much of that is going to be guaranteed money for Michael Thomas? They can guarantee half the contract. They're going to guarantee seventy-five percent of it. I mean, think about Michael Thomas. If you can get a five-year, hundred million dollar deal where seventy-five million dollars of it is guaranteed, oh man, you got to sign up and walk to training camp, right? Yeah, you would think so. And for reference, OBJ's contract is ninety million, sixty-five of it is guaranteed. Hmm. So if you're using that as a template, so he signed what a five-year, ninety million dollar deal to get get to eighteen million a year. If it's a five-year, hundred million dollar deal, you give an incremental pay bump there, so he's at twenty million a year, and you probably give a little bit of a bump on the guaranteed money. So instead of sixty-five, it's probably more like sixty-eight, seventy, seventy-two, and you're tying up a lot of cash. But that's the going rate for an elite wide receiver in the NFL. And the second that Michael Thomas signs that contract, Julio Jones is on the clock, and Michael Thomas is going to be the highest-paid wide receiver in the NFL for a week, a couple of days, maybe two weeks, because then Julio's going to sign a deal for five years and $110 million, and he's going to make $22 million a year. And $78 million of it's going to be guaranteed. It's just the way it works. 
And they have so, to do it. And they, I, I think they will. It Both sides, the way they're talking, and of course you all have to say the right things right now, it doesn't sound like they're very far. Like Even Sean Payton didn't seem to be bothered. Drew Brees and Cam Jordan after practice today, neither of them seem to really believe that this is anything that anybody's worried will like extend beyond a week or two. If you're getting into the preseason and he still hasn't signed a deal, then maybe worry. But right now, it's just kind of part of the deal. Richard and Wiggins says, My boss would say, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Bye. He said, so pay Michael Thomas. Dallas can draft another running back. Johnny in West Point says, Hey, Richard, if you cannot be replaced, you cannot be promoted. Am I reading that right? Not sure I'm following exactly uh, what that is. Well, um, Sports Talk Mississippi Strider in Indianola says that OBJ is becoming the Dennis Rodman of football. The only thing that gets lost in the Dennis Rodman story and all this craziness is he was really, really good. He was a bully. How about a guy that was? He was a bully. Defensive player of the year. Go get you double-digit rebounds every night. Barry and Collins says, mark my words, Eli Manning will have a huge year. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. We have a lot of fun with dumb criminal news. Some stories are funny, some are sad, some are interesting, and then some are just... You got to be kidding me. I think this one falls in the you've got to be kidding me category. Today's dumb criminal news comes from uh, just to the north of the state of Mississippi. We go to Memphis. We have a Memphis man. Actually, a Memphis woman has a doozy of a bad date story. Faith Pugh says a man she knew from high school asked her to dinner and then showed up for their date without a car. So they went in her car. She drove a Volvo. Kelton Griffin was the guy's name. On their way to dinner, he asked her if she would mind stopping at a gas station and would run inside and grab him a cigar. So she did. Went inside to buy it. When she came out, her date, Mr. Griffin, and her car, the Volvo, were gone. She called her mom, and her mom came and picked her up, and then they used GPS uh, technology to track down her car. They followed the signal to a drive-in theater. She found her car and the guy now on a date with her god sister. <laughs> they called the police and he was arrested on the spot. <laughs> this guy shows up on a date without a car after inviting his lady friend to dinner, asked her to run into the gas station and grab him a stove. She goes to do so. He jumps in the driver's seat, drives off, goes and picks up this girl's godsister, takes her to the drive-in movie where 
The original lady, Miss Pugh, and her mom have used the GPS to track the car. And they find him and they call the police and he gets arrested. How do you how do you not think through that scenario on the front end and kind of play it out to the end and go, this might not be the best plan I've ever had. I, I'm not sure that I see how this is going to end well. Let he who has not done crazy things for love cast the first stone. Uh, I mean, Never did yeah, that, though, did but... You? Mike says this guy was probably born in Florida, ultimately making him a Florida man. This is a Memphis man. Wow. You gotta have, um, you've either gotta be colossally stupid or believe that you're invincible. I'm going to try and pull conspiracy and saying this was an inside job. I bet the God sister put him up to it. Because when he pulls up to pick her up in her god sister's car, she doesn't raise questions. Maybe she told him, I don't know, she's gullible or steal her car, something like that. Well, maybe she doesn't know what. I mean, it... <sighs> makes you think. I mean, god sister. So, 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 what are we talking about the relationship being here? So, usually, if you have godparents then that's somebody that is close to your parents, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that... I don't know. I don't don't have any, and I haven't been appointed as godfather to anybody yet, which is probably uh, for the best, but I don't know what that relationship's like. Uh, Two of my best friends and I are godparents, godfathers to... One of my other best friends, oldest son. And it's an incredible honor. And I probably am not... But it's it's like we all live in the same place and we see each other. And it's not like there are these responsibilities where I'm supposed to do this and this. As I understand that... And I guess different people look at it different ways. But the way I look at that relationship is in the event that something ever happens to my buddy... I and my other two friends who also have this title have just kind of committed to to our our friend that, hey, we'll take care of your boy. In the event that you're never around or never not around to be the dad that you need to be or are able to be, we'll take care of it. It's kind of how I look at that. I'm sure different people look at it differently. Oh, but my goodness, never the best. Uh, somebody said almost as if this was rigged in order to, to gain attention and go viral. Don't see how a person could be that stupid. Alex and Starkville says, stupid and invincible are one in the same. I guess so. I guess he never got his cigar either. Sports Talk Mississippi. Renaissance Bank Studio. Friday afternoon, just after 4 o'clock, couple of hours left in the work week. Maybe just an hour left. Maybe you've already cut out for the day. If you have, good for you. Enjoy the weekend. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi 
Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. But I would encourage you not to just do like an internet search to uh, to do there. Find a branch location that's near you, and if you've got land financing needs of any kind, and go by and, and see one of the folks at Mississippi Land Bank. Their corporate office is in Senatobia. They've got branch locations in Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, New Albany, Starkville, Kosciuszko, and Louisville. If you're a farmer, there's a good chance you're already working with Mississippi Land Bank. And if you're not, then certainly it would be worth giving them a uh, giving them a try, talking to them about the needs that you've got, whether it's buying a new piece of property, uh, getting a loan for equipment, getting your production loans through Mississippi Land Bank, or maybe it's refinancing an existing loan. Maybe they're able to uh, uh, help you out with a loan that you've already got in place, get you a better interest rate, get better terms for you. That's what they do. They've been financing and refinancing land uh, at Mississippi Land Bank for over 100 years Fantastic people. You will uh, you will really enjoy your interaction with them, doing business with them. Uh, it's people you can trust and people that you're going to feel really good about talking to and dealing with on a regular basis. Mississippi Land Bank, serving the northern 32 counties in Mississippi where they know the lay of the land. Richard Cross, Michael Borky with you. The, uh, the boys will be back uh, next week after their time away on vacation. Hey Dad is in New Orleans. Rippy is in California. Borky, let's call Rippy. Let's see if we can get him on the phone and just kind of see what he's been up to out on the uh, on the West Coast. See if we can surprise him. Well, I tell you what, let's not do it right here. We'll we'll do that in the uh, in the next segment. Let's um let's continue our countdown right now of 100 teams in 100 days. This day is bananas. E a n a n a s. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. Team number 100, or excuse me, team number 36 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days, the Virginia Tech Hokies. Hokies out of the ACC. I guess Justin Fuente's team going to be this year. Seems like most people are picking them first, second, or third in the Coastal Division. You've got some folks that are picking Virginia this year to win the Coastal Division. In fact, that was the media's pick at ACC Media Days to win the Coastal. Some folks really like Miami in year one for Miami Diaz. And then there's Virginia Tech, who is trying to bounce back from a disappointing season a year ago. Virginia Tech went 6-7. and seven and uh, closed out the year with a loss in the Military Bowl to Cincinnati. Lost that game 35-31. to uh, to 31. Best entrance in college football, if not the best, one of the best. They're certainly in the top five with the, uh, the inner Sandman entrance uh, uh, there in Blacksburg at Lane Stadium. What would Great be your home top field five? advantage. Top five entrances? Yeah, stadium entrances. If this is one, what are the other four? Uh, yeah, I'm say I'm gonna go no particular order. Uh, Virginia Tech's got one. Clemson has one. Running down the hill, touching Howard's Rock. After they bus around the stadium, uh, Florida State would be one of them. 
with uh, Chief Osceola and the Flaming Spear, although I was a little disappointed with that when I saw it in real life. Maybe it's better in Tallahassee than it is when they uh, they carry the horse on the road. What's the horse's name? should remember that, but I don't. Uh, so that's three. How about all three of those being from the ACC? Um, you got to make the football exciting somehow. Yeah, I mean, a little the burn old for a Friday. Miami running through the, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. The old school Miami running through the uh, fire extinguisher smoke was pretty cool, but I feel like that's kind of run its course a little bit. Renegade. I'm trying to think is, is the there... horse's name. There we go. Good call. Colorado with is the actual entrance? Buffalo. Ralphie. Yeah, they follow a, a real live Buffalo onto the field. That's pretty sweet. That's pretty good. Just trying to think if there's an entrant. Like, like I mean, there's pregame stuff in the SEC that's really good. LSU's pregame is my favorite. Auburn's is really good. Alabama's is pretty good. I love Georgia with the, you know, the trumpet player up on the first row of the top deck of the stadium playing the solo to start glory, glory to old Georgia. But that's kind of like all part of the pregame celebration deal. Talk about the actual coming onto the field. South Carolina, probably, with Space Odyssey 2001. And you got cocky in that. It's not a cage because it's like a sheet, but you know he's shaking the cage, and they drop it, and there he is, and he's dancing, and they take the field. It's not bad. And, it, you know, if you look at it closely, it's kind of silly. There's not a lot to it. But when that stadium is full and rocking and they really get it going, it's pretty impressive. Everybody's got the towels. Uh, They do rally towels the right way there. Everybody's got it. It's a contrasting color. Everybody's using it. It's the most, maybe, the most underrated atmosphere in maybe all of college football. Yeah, I just... The only thing about South Carolina, it was like there was a... There was um, this narrative that when they were terrible, when they went 0-11 consecutive years or 0-11 and 1-10, oh, but they still filled up the stadium every week. There were eight. No, there weren't. There were still great crowds. They had really good support. But I've been to big games in Columbia. It's not full. So do they sell all the tickets? And maybe so. But, it, but nobody fills up the stadium every single week for an They have great fan support. It's just that particular narrative is uh, a little it's a little off. Well, it's just false. And then the uh, tailgating there is brutal. Unless you are one of the uber-wealthy that can get onto one of the cockabooses, which there aren't that many to begin with. And when it's talked about, if you've never been, and they show that on TV and stuff, oh, they love to tailgate here in the... It, what they are, it's rail cars right right by the stadium. But there aren't that many of them. A bunch of cabooses. And you can't just go there. Yeah, you have to you have to know somebody or you have to have a lot of money. So that's not their tailgating scene. It's one particular percentage of the fan base's tailgating scene. Otherwise, it's just a parking lot. Literally, the fairgrounds. It's where they tailgate in a massive parking lot. It's an awful like game day atmosphere outside of the stadium. Terrible. Yeah. 
Well, and that's what happens when you have a city in an off-campus stadium, and that's what Williams Rice is in Columbia. Yep. I'm not knocking it again. I had that as maybe one of the five best, uh, you know, kind of coming onto the fields in college football. Russell uh, suggests uh, Oklahoma with the wagon, the Boomer Schooner. That's a good call. Um, Roof Max says Tennessee running through the T. That's a that's a good one. That's a really good one. Jeff in awe in, in Grenada says, I hate Auburn, but love the Eagle flying around the stadium. It's a good point. Good point. The script okay, Ohio I mean, is really this? cool to see in person, too. And they go straight from that to the entrance, so maybe you can count it as that. But watching them walk through okay. each other and stuff is pretty awesome. And then dot the eye with the sousaphone. Amanda in Pike County, Richard. You said something nice about LSU. Do you feel well? Amanda. I love you. Um, Have you really never heard me say this before, Amanda? My favorite place on planet Earth to watch a football game is Tiger Stadium. And it's really not close. I don't care how many times... I go to Baton Rouge for an LSU game when the band starts doing their pregame deal with the, the drum majors and it starts with the drum cadence and they march onto the field and they hit that first note with the trumpets, the dun, dun, hair on the back of my neck, arms, legs, everywhere, standing up. Chicken skin, goose pimples, chill bumps, however you want to describe it, every single time. And that, I guess, is my favorite part, but a close second is when they do the call in Baton Rouge you know, in the stadium while LSU is going through pregame warm-ups. I love it. Absolutely love it. I don't love LSU. Ah, maybe I'm overly critical of them from time to time. But as far as game day atmosphere, it's best in the entire country. Glad we could talk a lot about uh, Virginia Tech. Yeah, this was better. Whatever. Whatever. They do have a cool entrance, though, when they come into the stadium. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. That's your uh, countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Friday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and on the Farm Bureau phone line... From California, Rippy told me, uh, I don't know, maybe last Friday, that if we needed or wanted to call him somewhere along the way, we could do so. So here we are, end of the week. Rippy, what's up, man? You still alive in California? I am. Today's the uh, today's my last day. It's uh, it's been quite nice. I might not come back, so we'll see what happens with the show on Monday. Well, well which is it? Is today your last day, or are you not coming back? It, I guess it depends on how the rest of this afternoon goes. I might uh, might hit the beach. Um, we'll see. Just got done eating lunch with our uh, dear friend Antonio Morales, so I'm headed back from that right now. Oh, there you go. Did you eat anything good? Uh, we went to some deep dish pizza place. It was pretty solid, but I've really done a whole lot of nothing this trip. It's been pretty great. All right, so what have your days consisted of? Um, Yesterday I had a huge day. I went to the pool and I drank a beer. Um, and <laughs> and that's it. 
Pretty much. That's pretty much they've consisted of. Uh, we did go to an Angels game last night. That was pretty cool. Um, that game ended up going. To- Looked like you had good seats too. Yeah, we were second row behind the uh, behind the Orioles dugout for pretty uh, for pretty affordable. I was I was surprised. Uh, Dodgers tickets were a little more steep. But we had pretty good seats there too. Uh, I would say Dodger Stadium is one of my favorite places I've ever been. It was it was pretty sweet. But other than the two baseball games, I really haven't done a whole lot. I've been sitting at the beach in the pool. All right. So compare and contrast Dodger Stadium and the Big A in Anaheim. Um. Ooh. So I'm not even sure they're really like comparable. Like it's it's Dodger Stadium. Like you kind of know what you're getting yourself into. Like it has the mystique. It has, um, it kind of has everything you'd want in like an older, older fashioned baseball stadium. Cause I mean, that place on the scale of, uh, like it's not Fenway Wrigley old, but it's kind of in the middle. It's kind of bridging the gap. I think it's 1957. So it was just very much more like historic. Like we did a tour and all that. And then the Angel Stadium is way more like what a modern baseball stadium looks like. So obviously you got to give the nod to Dodger Stadium, but the Angel Stadium was cool, uh, cool in its own right. Yeah, don't they have an interstate just beyond the left field wall? They do. So, like, you can't. So, so you can see it driving in. So, you can see the stadium driving in on the interstate, and it's like it's an inter. There's really not much out there. It's the uh, it's the ballpark, and that's about it. Like, you see the uh, you see it coming up, and then like the uh, Honda centers behind it, where the Ducks, the hockey team, play. But uh, other than that, there's really not a whole lot like around it. It's really just the stadium. Hmm. How was Mike Trout in person? Uh, pretty solid. His first at bat, he hit a double. Um, I think he got a couple more hits after that. Yeah, he's a big fella. Did you stick around and try and get his autograph after it was over? No, so we left, and my buddy had to get up early at work this morning, so he left in like the eighth inning. But that game apparently ended up going 16 innings, where each team scored three times in the 15th. Things got pretty crazy when we left. Like, we stuck out most of it, but in reality, I guess we only stayed half the game because it went 16 innings. All right, so if you had known the final result, that it was going to be one of those games, it was kind of epic, in hindsight, would you have stayed? Um, Maybe. I don't know when they do last call at that ballpark, so that would have been a factor. Um, <laughs> beating the traffic would have been another big factor. So maybe like, it would have been cool to see, but like I kind of went there just to see the stadium and see some baseball. Like you know, I wasn't necessarily invested in the outcome. So Borky said yesterday that um, it was ridiculous that you were going to two baseball games while you were on your vacation because they were boring. Well, like, I don't see what's... That felt like a terrible take. Yeah, baseball in-game. I was actually having this conversation with someone, I think, at that game last night. Like, the in-game experience of baseball is as good as it's ever been. Like, the idea of going to the game, you know, eating some food, drinking a couple beers, and watching live action, because you forget until you go to the Like, they make it look so routine on television, but you forget how good all these dudes are. Um, it's hard to watch on TV because, you know, it's strikeout, walk, or home runs. So there's not enough emotion. So, like, honestly, I loved – I mean, I wasn't going to come out here and, like, not see Dodger Stadium or Angel Stadium if I had the chance. So, I found it very relaxing. It didn't bore me. Yeah, he he was trying to tell me that um, it was ridiculous that I was taking my kids to see a Rockies game uh, at the end I, of our vacation. I didn't say anything week. like that. Not even close. You said it was boring. In uh, yeah, I, I I said I would not spend vacation watching boring baseball. 
I didn't say it was stupid for you to do the same thing. If you want to subject your children to boring baseball, then go for it. It's not my, you know, my vacation would not be spent watching baseball. I drove a, uh, I drove a boat the, the first day I was here. See, that's what you do on vacation. Yeah, but it's like this little like little boat you can rent, and it doesn't go above five miles an hour. So I think that's probably why I was permitted to drive it. And we kind of ripped through this channel. It was pretty cool. You got to see some like big yachts and stuff, and like basically trying to guess which rich guy owned that. And then I was pretty good at driving it. The parking it was awful. I got to the point I was so bad on the parking that they just cut the engine off and pulled me in like I was some kind of like cargo load. Like this kid can't do anything right. Hold on a second. What kind of a boat was this? I don't know what they're called. I, I, I'll drive by it. I mean, was it a pontoon boat or like a ski boat or a deck boat or what? It's so you know, they're like it's like a mini version of a little cigarette boat, I guess. I I would describe it as. So it's like you could probably fit four or five people on it. It doesn't go above five miles an hour, and you just kind of cruise through the channel. I don't remember what they're called. Like like literally, it doesn't go faster than five miles an hour, or are you just kind of exaggerating? No, no, literally. That's uh, like they tell you that when they get there, which was a big disappointment. But in my mind, I was ripping that thing like it was a yacht. I mean, five miles an hour is like idle speed. Yeah, and that's max speed at this thing. <laughs> I could have found a way to tip what, if I wanted to. What, what, what did that cost you to rent the boat, and how long did you have it? We had it for an hour, and I think it was like 85 bucks. So do you think that was $85 well spent? Um, yes, it was definitely $85 well spent because for an hour I pretended like I owned the boat and I was in control. Like everyone on that boat was in my kingdom, and that was pretty much what I say goes. So, yes. <laughs> there was nobody on the boat with you, was there? You were by yourself. No, I was not by myself. I was with my buddy and his, uh, and his sister. Uh, she came out there for the weekend, so that was like her last day. So we... Uh, took a boat out took my boat out i have multiple text messages coming in to my phone one telling me that you're a renegade and two just with the face palm emoji like you, you gotta how can you not park it it's going five miles an hour rippy because the uh so the the steering on it is extra sensitive because it doesn't go very fast like one slight turn and that thing's ripping, and so I was like trying to angle it in there, and you had to. Nothing is ripping at five miles an hour. You'd be surprised, man. It's equated to riding a bull. It was uh, it was tough to tackle, but um. <laughs> Porky, <laughs> I, I Porky, he just said he just said his miniature cigarette boat that went a maximum of five miles an hour was the same as riding a bull. Dude, that thing is feisty. You would you, you'd be surprised. And the sensitive. And then I had to avoid these barges that would take cars across the thing. And like I got in their way a couple times and really pissed them off. Like it was it was a tough job, but I was I got it done. <laughs> Did they honk at you? Uh, no, they don't honk. They just look at you with disdain, which was really nothing new. But like you know, I was in uncharted waters, literally. Oh goodness! Anything else exciting? Have you surfed at all? I have not surfed. So the, this one beach that I've gone to mostly is like right around the corner from where where the house is, and it's like a smaller public beach. And I haven't seen anybody giving surfing lessons. Like I, you know, I was looking for the uh, 
like forgetting Sarah Marshall, like Puka necklace guy to basically like, hey, here, 10 bucks and I'll let you take this board out. But it has not happened. So that's probably my biggest regret from this trip is that I haven't learned how to surf or skateboard, but I guess there's still time. Um, Have you met the future Mrs. Borky while on this, or Mrs. Rippy while on this trip? I have not. Uh, I have not. But I guess, again, we're going out to dinner somewhere nice tonight, I think. And then maybe like get some drinks somewhere afterwards. So I guess there's still time for that too. What left to accomplish on this trip? Hey, question on the uh, Seaspire text line: Was this one of those boats that you have to feed quarters into it to keep it going along the way? No, I think it had a key. If they were feeding quarters, then we jammed the thing because we didn't have any money after we gave them the eighty-five bucks. Like we didn't put any money in it. So I don't know what it ran on, but it ran. It worked. I think I asked you, but I didn't listen. Where'd you say you're going to dinner tonight? Um, I don't know the name of the place. I'm really just kind of along for the ride here, but I will be there on time. There you go. <laughs> well, I mean, since you got so many other things to do, I know you have to juggle to make sure that you can be there on time. Exactly. It's stressful to be me. All right, Rippy. Come home. We'll see you next week. Well, I won't. See I'll see soon. you the week after, but Borky will see you next week. Sounds good. See you soon. This is a hold up. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along this afternoon. As best I can tell, after doing a little bit of research on the uh, boat rentals available in Newport Beach, there is a harbor there where you can rent little boats. Um, They don't have anything that even closely or remotely resembles a cigarette boat. If you're not sure exactly what a cigarette boat is, think bad guys in Miami Vice. And if you can't, if you're not sure what that show is or was, then just Google cigarette boat. It looked like, I mean, you think cigarette boat, you're thinking Miami, South Florida, drug runner boats down into the Caribbean, the ones that'll like go 80 miles an hour on the open water, which is flying on the water. Uh, what Rippy was on appears to be a 16-foot runabout. Just a little small putter around, kind of looks like a small ski boat. And I, I thought he had to be crazy, so I went to the FAQ section of Newport Beach Boat Rentals, frequently asked questions. Uh, they're pet-friendly. But under the question, is it hard to drive a boat, and what is the age limit? you got to be 21. It is not terribly difficult because the maximum speed in our electric boats is five miles per hour. <laughs> he says before takeoff, our dock master gives the captain a very detailed description of the bay, where to go, and what you can see. So the dock master gives the description to the captain. Rippy tells us that he was the driver, which makes him the captain which means he has a new nickname. I never fell in love with Scott. It was Squat. The Dr. Rippy thing was just kind of, eh. He's now Captain Rippy. <laughs> Borky, that works, doesn't it? That's the best one so far, yeah. Captain Rippy going forward. Why? Because he figured out how to navigate 
Well, a 16-foot, four-passenger boat in Newport Beach Harbor at a top speed of five miles an hour and then said, couldn't park the thing. They remotely killed the engine and hauled him in like he was a <laughs> ship's cargo. Man, parking a boat's not easy, though, but still. It's not hard. No, but if you've never done it before, I get... I'm, I don't know why I'm trying to make excuses for the kid. Yeah, no. Captain Rippy. Captain Rippy. Ceasefire text line. Buddy goes, Do you mean cigar boat? No. No, I don't mean a cigar boat. I mean a cigarette boat. You could smoke a cigar on a boat if you wanted to, but the racing type boats that I'm talking about talking about are cigarette boats. You ever been on one of those, Borky? A cigarette boat? On a cigarette Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't find them very fun. Because you can do one thing on a cigarette boat, and that's it. Go fast. Go fast. Yeah, but they look so cool. Yeah, and they're loud. Man, they're like the uh, like the bad mufflers of the boating world. Like, when you drive by, everybody looks at you, and it's not because they're impressed by your boat. It's because it's so loud they're annoyed by it. Yes. And even at idle speed, they're loud. But when you open those things up on the water, good grief. I've never been on an actual cigarette brand boat, but I've been on that style of boat one time. It was like a 35 or a 38-foot Donzi Sport ZX, and it was pretty awesome. It was fast, too. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't like cigarette boat fast. But it was about, eh, probably about 60 miles an hour on the open water. And, brother, that is flying. That's fun. Anyway. You, you ever done that thing where, I, I guess you can call it skiing, but where you, you, loot, you get the boat going fast enough to where you lose your skis and you're just on your feet? No, I've never barefoot skied. See, I've been told I'm too heavy to do that. Really? Yeah. And I think I don't know if if that's actually true. Or we just didn't. We had a ski boat that couldn't go fast enough. But it's not like I'm like I'm not heavy. I'm not little either. Like you're not mad if you see me having to sit next to you on an airplane. But it could be better. But I've never tried yeah. that. I would like to. Je- Jeremy and Jackson says that um, a cigarette boat is the Corvette of the water. Not terribly useful. Kind of fun to look at. Fun to drive and go fast in. That's about it. Yeah, you want to ask the driver uh, questions about it, but you don't want one of your own. So would a better nickname for Rippy be Captain Rippy, or would it be to call him Gilligan? <laughs> I like <laughs> Skipper. by Ryan in the Delta. Oh, Skipper. I only went with Captain, though, because it says the Dockmaster will outline the rules of how to use the boat in great detail to the Captain Rippy the captain. Ah, how about that? Sports Illustrated's Connor Orr went through the NFL schedule, picked every single game for the entire schedule, tallied up the results, and then came up with predicted finishes. And as a result of the finishes, here are some thoughts. He had the Eagles winning the East at 11-5. and five. Vikings winning the NFC North at 11 and 5, Falcons 11 and 5 to win the NFC South. 
NFC West, Rams at 13-3. and three. In the AFC, Patriots win the East, shocker, at 12-4. and four. Steelers win the North at 10-6 and six, with the Browns right behind them. AFC South goes to the Colts at 12-4 and four, and the Chiefs at 13-3 and three in the AFC West. Wildcard teams in the AFC are the Chargers at 10-6 and six, and the Texans at 9-7. and seven. Wildcard teams in the NFC, Seahawks at 11-5 and five, and the Saints at 10-6. and six. That's Connor Orr from Sports Illustrated. So if you dive a little deeper into this, a few thoughts. Borky, are these your thoughts or yeah, these are my story? Okay. They predict the Cowboys to go eight and eight. You don't think that's enough for Jason Garrett to keep his job? Yeah, there's no way Jason Garrett survives yet another eight and eight after they presumably give Dak Prescott a probably undeserved thirty-five million dollar contract, Zeke, and then a wide receiver as well. There's no way he survives that. Okay. Could it be that everybody in the world dislikes Jason Garrett except his boss? You only need one and person boss, to like Jerry you. Jones does like him. Yeah. If you want to keep a job, all it takes is one. Uh, the New York Football Giants predicted third in the NFC East at six and ten. You think that would be an accomplishment for these Giants? Yeah, especially with the injuries at receiver now. I mean, they are down to Golden Tate and then a bunch of dudes you've never heard of with a couple of early camp injuries and they're still not really beat to com- built to compete I should say yeah if they go 6 and 10 with that roster now depleted by injury on offense I think that's an accomplishment wait are they, are they got like done for the year injuries one of them yeah so that th- you have a hand injury oh, yeah. that should be good by camp and then the other one is um a, a season ending injury Corey Coleman tore his ACL and uh, Sterling yeah. Shepard might be back by the uh, the start of the regular season. So just brutal uh, for Giants camp right now. Yeah, so fractured thumb for Sterling Shepard. He was expected to take on a big role in the absence of OBJ this year, and Corey Coleman out for the year. That's not a great start to uh, camp. Um, the NFC North, whoo, Vikings, Bears, Packers, Lions, Vikings... Predicted to win at eleven and five, Bears a game back at ten and six, but missing the playoffs. Packers at eight and eight, and the Lions. Poor Matthew Stafford at four and twelve. That's a tough division. Might be the best in football. I mean, based on the predictions, the third best team in that division may be the greatest quarterback in the NFL right now. At least some people think he is. And then it's not like Matt Stafford can't win games on his own. You think that division is more difficult than the NFC West with the Rams, Seahawks, Niners, and Cardinals? Yeah, there's a lot of people that think that Kyle Shanahan, like even Warren Sharp, a really smart football guy who I bought his preview magazine, and it's almost hard to read. Like it's a completely different language than the one I speak. Um, these people think that Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan is next Bill Belichick, that his situation that he took over in San Francisco is. Uh, hard to fathom and they were so bad and Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt early so he had to win games with no disrespect intended with Nick Mullins and now he's poised to make that big jump and I just got to see that before I believe it especially in that division so perhaps the Niners a sleeper in the NFC West we'll see 
Pats expected to win their division once again and roll into the playoffs. Cleveland Browns, you look at that division that Cleveland is in with the Steelers and the Bengals and the Ravens, probably not winning the division, but could be in the running. We'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Friday afternoon with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Major League Baseball games happening tonight. Got a bunch of them across the big leagues. Uh, Here's hoping that uh, the New York Yankees can uh, be a little bit better tonight than they were last night. Yes, I realize I'm probably the only one that cares about that. So you've got uh, Rockies and Reds in Cincinnati, Dodgers and Nationals on the East Coast, Braves at Phillies, Atlanta favored in that game tonight with Mike Soroka on the mound against Jake Arrieta for Philadelphia. The Rays and the Jays are in Toronto. Uh, Jacob Wagaspak getting the start tonight for the Toronto Blue Jays, former Ole Miss pitcher. Uh, spent some time uh, at Ole Miss a few years ago and has made his way to the big leagues. Yankees, Red Sox in Boston. That's James Paxton on the mound for the Yankees against Andrew Kashner against uh, the Red Sox. Pirates and Mets, Diamondbacks and Marlins, Cubs and Brewers tonight, and that is a pick 'em game in Milwaukee. Cubs are back tied for the division lead with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Kyle Hendricks on the mound for the Cubs. Brewers uh, are going with Gio Gonzalez tonight, and that is the game for which I will give you the Pearl River Resort pick of the day. When you're thinking about making a guy's trip or a family trip or a couple's trip, think Pearl River Resort. Plenty to do, including the sports book at Timeout Lounge. On a straight-up pick'em game, with, that is even on the money line. I'll take the Cubs tonight over the Brewers. Cubs sitting at 55 and 47 overall. The Brewers are 54 and 50. Kyle Hendricks is a little bit of a magician with the baseball. Despite the win-loss record of seven and eight, he's got a sub three and a half ERA facing Gio Gonzalez, who's just two and one on the year. Again, Cubs now tied for the division lead with the Cardinals in the NL Central. We'll go with the Cubbies in Milwaukee tonight, and you know that there will be a boatload of Cubs fans at that game. uh, Twins are at the White Sox. Indians are at the Royals. Astros at Cardinals. That's a big series this weekend for St. Louis. 94 degrees at first pitch tonight at Bush Stadium in St. Louis. Orioles and Angels continue their series tonight. Rangers are at the A's. Giants and Padres out on the West Coast. Giants have won 17 of their last 21. Jeff Samarja will pitch tonight for the San Francisco Giants, who have fallen back to third in the division and fallen back just a little bit more in the uh, wild card. And then the nightcap out in the Pacific Northwest, the Tigers and the Mariners. So the Cubs straight up tonight against the Brewers as your Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Pretty good run of those, Borky. I think I've only lost one of them outright so far. I think so, and especially during football season, I'm going to keep a little bit stricter track uh, on yours. Maybe you can help make the people some money. Or they can hedge you, you, either one. Yeah, yeah, you can fade me all you want to if we hit a a losing skid or ride the wave, whatever it is you want to do. We, uh, We can do that. So that's your Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Cubs over the Brewers tonight 
in Milwaukee. Um, you can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. That is how you can get in touch with us. C Spire, customer inspired. Um, media Day stuff is on the horizon for Ole Miss and for Mississippi State. Ole Miss will have its Media Day before they begin fall camp next week. So that is Thursday, and then their first practice will be on Friday. Uh, and we'll have coverage of that for you. And then also, uh, Mississippi State's Media Day will be about a week after they get into practice. So they'll practice for a week, and then we'll have their Media Day on Saturday, August the 10th. Hey Dad will be there live for that, and we'll have uh, all the coverage and uh, plenty of stuff on the Thunder and Lightning podcast, which will return next week. Did you tell me that you were thinking about going to four days a week on the podcast instead of five on the Borky show? I might. It, for some reason, uh, the numbers do better. Maybe I overload people with content, or maybe they just don't like me that much, one way or the other. Mm, fair enough. Hey, a couple of things coming up next week that you don't want to miss. You can join the Gallo Show live Monday at King's Daughters Medical Center in Brookhaven for Operation Healthy Vote. Learn how important it is to make your vote count in 2019. That's the Gallo Show on Monday at King's Daughters Medical Center in Brookhaven on Supertalk Mississippi and streaming online at supertalk.fm. And then toward the end of the week, 31st and the 1st, the Gallo Show and the JT Show They'll be at Mississippi's Giant House Party, the Neshoba County Fair, Wednesday and Thursday next week. Gallo and JT will be at Founder Square, where you will hear from candidates vying for office across the state as they make their final push for your vote. Neshoba County Fair in Philly, Wednesday and Thursday next week, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Final hour of the week when we come back. College Football Fix is next. For that, we will go to the Farm Bureau phone line and uh, chat with Zach Bingham and then some really interesting college football kind of nuggets and storylines that are happening all across the country. We'll do that when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Friday afternoon, rolling into the weekend with you just after 5 o'clock. Richard Cross and Michael Borky wrapping it up. I'll be out next week, but Haydad and Rippy will be back. And despite Rippy now being officially a boat captain, Borky will be the one captaining the ship uh, next week. Farm Bureau phone line is where all guests on Sports Talk Mississippi appear. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That is Farm Bureau for that. We go to Nashville to chat with Zach Bingham from A to Z Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Bada underscore Bingham. Zach, what's up, man? Happy Friday. Hey, happy Friday to you guys. Glad to be on. Uh, always appreciate your time. Titans camp off and rolling. Let's start with uh, some semi-local news. Not great if you are a fan of A.J. Brown. Uh, hurt in the first training camp practice. Walked into the training room right after the injury. Didn't return to practice. What do you know about the uh, the news with A.J. Brown? Yeah, it's a tough one. And uh, so full disclosure, I did attend Ole Miss uh, years back, and I, I did think that the Titans were smart in drafting A.J. Brown. One of the reasons why is durability. Didn't really miss a game. Didn't miss time at Ole Miss. But he's had some injury problems already. In the offseason at OTAs and mini camps a couple of months ago, 
He tweaked a hamstring, so they held him out. And the first day of training camp today, he was doing individual drills, had a hitch route, and kind of dug his heel into the turf awkwardly. He caught the pass, but obviously something was going on because he left with trainers immediately after and didn't return. So I felt like he was going to play a big part in, in training camp to earn a starting role possibly. But it looks like uh, a little bit of a setback early on in this Titans training camp. Zach, if A.J. Brown is healthy, what do you think his role looks like? I heard what you said just a second ago about possibly earning a starting spot when it's all said and done. Whether he's a starter or he's coming off the bench, if he's healthy, what can his role be in the Titans offense this year? Well, actually last week at SEC Media Days, I asked Archie Manning. We had an opportunity to do a cool feature where Archie, Steve Spurrier, and Herschel Walker they answer questions to media. And I asked Archie that very question of what do you think A.J. Brown's role would be as a pro? And he says one of the things that he brings to the table is versatility. At Ole Miss, they, they were wide receiver rich a few years and because they had D.K. Metcalf and DeMarcus Lodge and and a couple other guys at tight end. But I think he played the stunt shot. He played outside. And I think that is kind of the role that the Titans were going to find out. Now, the Titans paid Adam Humphreys a large sum of money in the offseason to come over from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be a slot receiver. But A.J. Brown was going to get an opportunity because the two wide receivers that were still kind of in limbo over the last couple of years were Project Sharp and Taylor Taylor. So, I do believe A.J. Brown's position, he had an opportunity to, to, to take a spot. It was just, we're, we're just going to have to wait a little bit to find out where they're going to place him. But maybe on the outside a little bit more because of Humphreys. But he could do a lot of stuff dating back from his time at college. Zach Bingham on the Farm Bureau phone line. We're talking some Titans. A.J. Brown injured. We'll wait and see how serious it is and how quickly he's able to get back. Is it too soon to have an idea as to when he could turn, return or what specifically the injury is? Yeah, he just he walked gingerly to the locker room again, never returned. And we asked Mike Vrabel, the head coach of the Titans, in, a, in the press conference after practice. And all he gave us was one thing I've learned about Mike Vrabel. Got a little bit of Bill Belichick in him uh, coming over from his Patriot days because he does not like to give information on injuries. So the okay. only thing that we got was day to day, but you hope it's nothing serious. But I, I would expect him. So how training camp works early on today was just helmet, and then because of this collective bargaining agreement, they have to go shells where they don't go full pads for a couple of days. So I expect tomorrow and Sunday to just be the shells, uh, shoulder pads, and helmets, and then full pads next week. You would hope that once they go full pads or a couple of days in, that A.J. Brown could return. That's been kind of a secondary story. The big story with the Titans coming into uh, the start of training camp and the start of the new season is the suspension of Taylor Lewan, uh, the offensive lineman, um, uh, kind of walk us through this. He suspended four games for violating the uh, the league's PED policy. Um, Lawan's been incredibly candid about this, and I saw the tweet that you had. I don't know if it was last night or earlier today. I guess earlier today. You said after his press conference and talking to Lawan after the press conference, 
you stand by your belief that he made a mistake but did not know that he was taking a banned substance. So kind of walk us through uh, what's going on, what you've been able to learn, what Taylor has said to you, and, and kind of what's out there. Yeah, this is a very unique story. And it starts back a, probably about three weeks ago, maybe two and a half weeks ago. And we get, Beta Z Sports, our company, we get some information that Taylor Wan possibly failed a drug test. So we started researching, we started doing a little digging, and we found actually the company that drug testing. It's actually based here in Nashville. And the information that we found out is that he had 23 registered supplements in the database, but had 27 total supplements. So there were four supplements that was not registered under the CDA and under the NFL. So there's four supplements, and you can take whatever supplements you want, but you run the risk of something else being in there. So Ostrin is a drug that has been banned since 2007. And doing research on the drug, it was actually used for muscle atrophy, and it was found, and, and it's notorious to not be in some supplements and on the label. So I think he trusted some of the wrong people uh, that he got these supplements for because the test came up positive, and he was informed that it was a positive test. Now, here's the one thing about the NFL, very black and white. If you fail the test, you have sample A and sample B. If sample A matches sample B, you're done. You're suspended for four games. If sample B does not match sample A, which is very, very rare, then possibly you could get off. Well, I think what Juan found out, sample B has not come back. So officially he's not suspended by the NFL because they're waiting on that second sample. But Taylor Juan decided to get in front of this. And essentially, a couple of days ago when he released the video, he suspended himself and said, I unknowingly took these drugs, but the drugs were in my system. And so that banned substance is probably probably a 99.5% chance that he will serve that four-game suspension. But to kind of go full circle, I do believe that Taylor Lawan did not knowingly take performance-enhancing drugs. I think he just got in a really bad situation. He got the short end of the stick, and the NFL and the rules are eventually going to have to suspend him for four games, and he's just going to have to take his lump. Yeah. I, I guess... This may be a, a a dumb question, so forgive me if it is. But I'm not familiar with NFL locker rooms. Are pretty much all players in the NFL to supplement their workouts and what they're doing? Are they taking supplements to enhance those workouts, at least the ones that are allowed by the NFL? Or is it just kind of like the workout warrior guys who do this, and you got a lot of guys that just go with the you know whatever the training regimen is and try to eat right? Well, it's a case by case basis, so it's a very good question, not a dumb question at all. Because Taylor Wan said that the reason why he he started taking all these supplements is he got concussed week one last year in Miami and had to miss week two. So him and his wife went back and said, "Look, we've got to start looking at mental health." for afterwards, so that cued him to take the supplement. Now, he didn't take all registered supplements, and therefore he got in trouble, but it's a complete case-by-case basis. 
We talked to Mike Frable. Mike Frable, who had a very storied career, three-time Super Bowl champion, he said, I didn't really take supplements. Kevin Byard, the safety for the Titans, that just got the, the biggest contract in NFL history, we asked him if he takes supplements. He says, no, I just take vitamins. So it's a personal preference, but you do toe the line when you take supplements that are not registered with the NFL's list. So you're all good if you take supplements that are on the list, but you start start to get into some murky water and possible troubles, possible four-game suspensions when you go away from that list, and that's what Taylor Watt did. Really interesting stuff. That's a bummer for uh, a guy that's a pretty integral piece of uh, this Titans team going forward. We'll see how this all plays out. Really good information today, Zach. Appreciate your time, and uh, hope you have a great weekend, man. Look forward to talking to you again soon. That's you guys. Be good. Zach Bingham from A to Z Sports in Nashville. If you never checked them out, you can do so online. A really, really cool company that uh, he and Austin Stanley have uh, have built from the ground up and do a great job covering Nash- uh, Nashville sports. There's a college angle there with Vanderbilt. Uh, they do some Tennessee coverage as well, and obviously the Predators and the uh, the Titans. A lot of good stuff from the guys at A to Z in Nashville. College football fix driven by Ford when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Only time will tell. I guess we are the About ten minutes ago, you had a tweet from the official Mississippi State Twitter account, MS State. That's at MS State. Um, just kind of a heads up on this. A stabbing reported at the student union. Police have responded and have increased patrols in the area. Suspect, a black male driving a maroon SUV. Use caution and report any concerns to university police. So that is uh, in the last 10 minutes or so, 10 or 11 minutes that that tweet has come out. Uh, so if you happen to be in Starkville, um, specifically in that area in or around campus heads up and uh if you see anything that uh qualifies as suspicious activity try to report that to uh, law enforcement i hate hearing and reading about stuff like that just awful um sports talk mississippi with you richard cross michael borky half an hour left give or take with you on this friday afternoon rolling into the weekend we're glad to have you along uh, it's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. The Hurry Up and Save sales event is going on right now. You can go to the website, buyfordnow.com. Find out about savings in your area or stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Test drive the vehicle that you like and find out about the savings that you might could get to go along with that vehicle College football fix. Some quick hitters from around the college football world. On Wednesday, you had Pac-12 media days, and uh, we got this news out of Pac-12 media days. The Pac-12 will allow media to ask officials questions after the game. What do you think about that, Bort? I've been screaming about this. You've known me for five years, probably at, at least once a month for the last five years, if especially in college. NFL may be a different story. But if, let's use Matt Corral for an example because he's young. Is he still 19? He's a redshirt freshman quarterback. So for just for kicks, Matt Corral in the Arkansas game 
They're driving down the field. They're down by four, driving down the field. He throws an interception in the end zone. Ball game ends. Ole Miss loses. Matt Corral then, 19-year-old Matt Corral, has to walk off the field and sit in front of television cameras and reporters asking him question after question about what you see, how'd you throw that interception, how are you feeling right now, all of that stuff. If the kid has to go through that, then the adult man who makes a bad call should also have to explain himself to the media. I think it's only fair. It's about time we get something like that, even though it's in the Pac-12 and nobody's going to notice. Maybe it'll inspire other leagues to do the same thing. Tweet from Brian Fisher. This was it. Pac-12 official. Uh, Pac-12 will allow pool reporters to ask questions of officials after games this season. So it's not a scenario where you're going to have the referee or the entire officiating staff sitting on the dais and taking questions from the entire media. But you will have pool reporters who will be able to ask questions about controversial calls, stuff that they're not sure about. And I think that other conferences will be watching closely to uh, to see how this goes, how it works in the Pac-12, uh, because that's something that I think you could see adopted uh, by other conferences as well. Speaking of the Pac-12, you heard a lot of complaining from Pac-12 people. It felt like this kind of picked up some steam last year about the late-night kickoffs. And there's always been a little bit of concern about East Coast bias because the majority of the games that happen on the East Coast happen in the waking hours, and we've coined the phrase Pac-12 after dark. Now, if you're a college football fan, you love Pac-12 after dark because you can go to a game and still get home and watch football live, or if you're just hanging out for the day and you're making it a football Saturday, you can start with game day at 8 in the morning and then roll into the 11 o'clock games and then the 2.30 games and then the evening games, and then that's kind of your nightcap. While you got burgers on the grill or maybe you're going to the couch or winding down or you're going to fall asleep, uh, you know, TV in your bedroom, fall asleep watching football. I love Pac-12 after, the, after dark, but I understand why some people on the West Coast wouldn't like that as much, and so Larry Scott and the Pac-12 are toying with a different, Possibility. This would be opposite end of the spectrum. If Pac-12 after dark is on one end of the spectrum, how about a 9 a.m. West Coast kickoff? Larry Scott said to a group of reporters, that would be new and out of the box for our conference, but I've tried to put everything on the table. There's a lot of frustration from fans in certain markets to the late-night kicks. I'd like to see one or two games this season that are 12 noon Eastern kicks be Pac-12 games, and see what markets might respond positively to that. Well, you throw that out there, and you're going to have opinions from coaches, right? Here are a couple of opinions. Justin Wilcox, who is the head coach of Cal, and his team will come to Oxford this year to play Ole Miss. It might differ between the fan bases because some might say no way, and some might say that's no different than an 8 p.m. game. Our guys practice in the morning. Wake up, eat, let's go play the game. When Chip Kelly was at Oregon, they practiced at like 6 a.m. in the morning. So they went morning practices. He thought that was more efficient. Then guys went on about their days going to class and all the other responsibilities they had as student athletes. Chip Kelly said this, I'd kick off at 6 a.m. When you wake up, if you're a college football player or coach, you want to wake up and you want to play football. 
The hardest thing with Saturdays is when you wake up, and then you've got to wait until 7 at night. But we're also big on we don't control our schedule and when we kick off, so tell us where it is and when we're kicking off, and we'll be there. Chip Kelly's always been an early morning guy, so you can hear him, you know, let's just go play it at 6 a.m. My guess is the concern you would have would be attendance. And not that the Pac-12 draws fans in quite the same way that the ACC and the SEC draw fans, but... Borky, would people show up for a 9 a.m. local kickoff? That's the million-dollar question, right? Probably literally a millions of dollars question. Uh, my initial reaction would be no. Uh, you have the diehards that will go to any game, play it at midnight, play it at 4 a.m., play it when it's 20 degrees or 200 degrees. People are still going to be there. But, yeah, the crowds would suffer, but as you're trying to get a TV deal and the Pac-12 was really struggling with that, an attractive television deal would include probably having time slots that are more desirable around the country. And if you can have your marquee game kick off at noon on the East Coast, maybe more people will watch Pac-12 football, and now you're seeing that television revenue is driving revenue more than people showing up to your games anymore. So it makes well, sense, but I think the question is valid. Students especially will not show up, and your casuals will not show up either. So so if you're thinking about a team like, let's go Stanford. If Stanford plays a home game on the farm at Stanford Stadium, and it's not against Southern Cal or a top 15 Washington team, or a rivalry game against the Cal Bears, then their attendance is brutal. Stadium seats 50,000, 20, 25,000, not crazy at all at Stanford. And their student attendance is not very good, again, unless it's for one of those big marquee games. So what would be different, really, for Stanford? I mean... If you're going to play at 5 o'clock in the evening or 7.30 in the evening and have 25,000 people there, would the crowd really be much different if you played Arizona at 9 a.m. West Coast time? Probably not. And I, Long story short, a dear friend of mine is really close to a guy that wrestled at Stanford. And the way he talks about their football games, it's like even when they have big games, Richard, nobody talks about it like during the week. You remember college. If there was a big game that Saturday, I mean, your classes taught around the football game Saturday. Everybody cared. He said nobody there cared, and they're on a quarter system, so they'll play four home games before the students even show up to campus. So, no, it won't affect their atmosphere at all. Hard to think about a 9 a.m. kickoff at Rose Bowl Stadium in Pasadena which is already not close, not terribly close to UCLA's campus. About an hour drive, not counting traffic. So, I don't know. I certainly think that would be a tough sell where we are, a 9 a.m. kickoff. But in a place where if you're not drawing anyway, you can play the game and get in front of a bunch more eyeballs than you might get in front of otherwise, yeah, maybe you give it a go. 
Also, some news out of Baton Rouge this week. We will uh, continue to hit on some college football nuggets when we continue with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along on this Friday afternoon. A little while longer with you, Richard Cross and Michael Borky. Um, another football note. You'll like this one, Borky. LSU has approved alcohol sales in Tiger Stadium. Widely regarded as one of the loudest and most intimidating venues in college football, Death Valley is about to get even more intimidating School announced on Thursday that beer and wine will be sold inside general seating areas to fans ages 21 and over. Yeah, let me Scott stop Woodward, you right there. The athletics though. director. As if okay. the people in Tiger Stadium were not freely drinking whatever they wanted inside of that stadium before. Adding adding some beer vendors is going to change that place. Give me a break. You can smell. I've talked to so many people that have been there and people that have played on that field where you they say you can smell alcohol when you're on the field, like on the sidelines in that stadium. And you're going to tell me that now suddenly people are going to be drinking there? Like, come on. Let's not act like that's not what they're already doing. Well, but they're going to sell it. Right, but the lead says the it's about to get even to more intimidating. It. No, it's not. Yeah. No, No, it's not. Scott Woodward, the athletics director at LSU, has been on the job for a couple of months now, says this is all about enhancing the fan experience, responding to the feedback from our fans, and doing it responsibly. It's a big addition to our events, and we believe it will be a positive one overall, but we're going about it with the appropriate mindset and thorough planning. story from CBS Sports says this, if you're thinking that the student section is about to get even rowdier because of the new policy, think again. Concession stands near the student section will not be permitted to sell beer and wine. So general seating areas, but not in the student section, or the concession stands around the student section at LSU. Does that just mean that students are going to have to walk farther to get to the concession stands that do sell beer and wine? Or they'll just keep slipping floppy flasks down their boots and drink whiskey instead. The announcement comes a couple of months after... Yeah, after the SEC voted to lift its ban on the sale of alcoholic beverages in areas outside of premium seating, the SEC policy mandates that alcohol can be available at designated stationary locations. So you don't you're not going to have the guy walking through the stands with the cooler strapped around his neck, you know, by a belt or whatever that's uh, you know, it's going cold beer, get your cold beer. You're not going to have that guy. Got to be uh, standalone, stationary locations. No vendors in the seating areas. All fans will have to adhere to adhere to a fan code of conduct. Service will be cut off at the end of the third quarter. Yeah, that was just so you know. The, the funniest thing about going to the the last Pelicans game I went to is uh, for whatever reason, hey, there, it's always kind of like this. But we had to bottleneck. Because there were so many of those vendors like carrying the bins with the strap around their neck, like the open coolers, where the, yeah. the fans walking into the arena kind of had to bottleneck in this big wide open space because there were so many vendors standing there trying to sell you a beer as you walked in that you had to like avoid them to walk in through the arena to get to your seat. There were so many like at every entrance. 
like forcing it down your throat almost to get through that abysmal season. But it's good that they're doing that, and the schools that aren't, which it doesn't sound like neither Mississippi school is going to have it this year for one reason or another, they'll get a good test case with LSU. Uh, they'll probably find what everybody else found, that it doesn't really cause any problems and they make a, a boatload of money off of it. But still this idea. Like when this story came out, replies and responses to it were, oh, I just I can't believe that uh, you know, you're know you going to be able to buy that there. Just It's going to ruin the family atmosphere and all, all that kind of stuff. And, of course, the answer one is people are already drinking. That's SEC football is synonymous with alcohol. But... Uh, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Soccer, Major League Baseball, NASCAR, concerts, the PGA Tour, minor league baseball, all have found a way to serve beer at their stadiums and venues and games and have not had problems. So why suddenly would it be now an issue with the SEC? And why are schools dragging their feet on this when they have so much data from other college football programs, big ones too, like Ohio State and Texas, and then the NFL and all of the other professional leagues that have been doing this for years without issue. Why are people dragging their feet now, I guess, is my question. Uh, I think a couple of things. One, we're headed in a direction where pretty much everybody's going to have this in place. Eventually. Number two, I think schools want to be cautious going into this, some more than others, to make sure that they're doing it the right way and that they are not creating an environment that is one that they don't want. And three, whether it's in the state of Mississippi or Alabama or Georgia or Florida, you got a bunch of people that really want this. Borky, there are a bunch of people that don't want this. There are a lot of people that are out there that don't want alcohol sales at stadium. And and they might they're smart enough to go, yeah, I mean we we realize people sneak it in but you got to work for that and you got to plan for that and it's not that much work i was able to do it and i was lazy Well, that's fine but 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 you're talking about as a student also so people who are not sitting in the student section but who are just randomly sitting in section c or section h may not want that around them and i think schools uh, from an administrative standpoint are sensitive to that that not everybody well while yes there are lots and lots of people who go yeah i love the idea i want to be able to grab a beer at the game i'm not going to drink 14 of them i want two i might get one in the first half and then one in the third quarter and we're all good i'm gonna be responsible about it but there are a lot of people that just don't want that yeah let's go with the coke and the popcorn and the nachos and the hot dog and leave it at that so, I think those are the reasons that this is not happening as quickly as some would like to see it happen. Yeah, and the, all those points are, are absolutely valid. I'm just surprised, Ole Miss especially, with the NCAA thing taking, literally taking money away from them, uh, how they're not exhausting every resource to make that happen because it, it appears to me, and you would know better than me, that they are not in a position where they can afford to turn down what would be a good chunk of money by doing this as soon as possible. Yeah. And maybe they're trying and they just can't do it because the state laws cause them to jump through so many hoops that they may not be able to make it happen. 
it just doesn't sound like they can afford not to take advantage of a financial boost if they could get it. Just an, an observation here, and this is not me being prudish or anything else. You watch a football game through a different set of eyes when you take your kids with you. And, you know, it's been a couple of years since I've sat in any part of a college football game with my kids because I work on game days. But, you know, a few years ago before I was doing the sideline stuff at Ole Miss, there were a couple of games where um, I sat in the stands with Jane and my kids. And, you know, we're talking about when Ava Montgomery's four or five years old, Noby's a couple of years old, and it's exciting to be able to expose them to college football. But you see things and you hear things that when it's you and your wife or you and your girlfriend or you and a buddy, that don't even register otherwise. A lot of the profanity, you just you just block it out. A lot of the alcohol, yeah, you don't even think anything about it. But when you've got young kids who are soaking up everything and are asking questions and they're seeing stuff that maybe they haven't seen before, you look at it through a different lens, and from a parent standpoint, taking small kids to a football game, and if you want to make the argument that kids don't belong at a game, I mean, okay, but yeah, you don't really buy into that. No, that's crap. because that's, That argument's no good. Because if you want to shepherd in a new generation of fans, you start bringing kids at a young age, and it becomes something that they want to do and they enjoy and they're interested in. I, I just it, it's just kind of a counterpoint to the argument. We got to do it. We got to do it. We got to hurry up. We got to go right now. Yeah, I, I hear you, and and I think we're headed in that direction ultimately. But there's also a be careful what you wish for. Um, yeah, and my perspective is going to change dramatically on that soon enough. You know, I won't be yeah. taking a. A, a few week and, old and Borky, baby to a game, but I will want as soon as I can to take my son to as many sports games as possible because I want him sure. to to have the experience I did. So my perspective will and, absolutely and Borky, change. It, it does not matter how responsible you are with your consumption. You can't control everybody else, and that's what your kids see. So. Just a couple of thoughts. Hey, how about this? We'll, uh, wrap it up on a, a college football nugget here, and then we'll come back and finish up the show. Chris Peterson, head coach at Washington, says he's old school. He believes the transfer portal is harmful to the athletes because it, quote, allows them to tap out, close quote, quote when they face a hard situation and just go somewhere else, they think things will be better, when oftentimes that's not the case. Perhaps the height of irony, Chris Peterson's starting quarterback at Washington this year, Jacob Eason, who is a transfer from the University of Georgia. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.